Well, hey everyone, I'm Pastor Judd Wilhite, and I wanna thank you for joining us today. You know, Central's a place where it's okay to not be okay. And we are so glad that you're here. I hope you enjoy this message. All right, all right, good to see you guys today. Hope you had a good week this week. Hope you're doing well. So glad that you're here with us. I wonder, have any of you, um, any of you ever hit an emotional wall? How many of you hit that wall this morning? Sometimes the drive to church can be the most emotional wall of all. You're like completely lost your religion before you uh, pull into the parking lot. Then you're like, you're walking in like, Jesus, forgive me. <laughs> My wife's very even keel. Like she's uh, pretty chill. She doesn't raise her voice a lot. Uh, she doesn't lose her cool a lot. But I can remember one day coming home and everything had come completely unhinged in our house. And um, literally, it involved hinges. Like, like, I walked in, and come to find out, it was finals week. Our kids were younger. They were both studying to get ready for finals. They have been studying for like four nights straight. And my son, Ethan, decides, I'm done. I'm not studying anymore. He completely shuts down, and he locks himself in his bedroom and says, I'm not coming out. This is his strategy. So Lori starts knocking on the door like, hey, bro, you got you to gotta come out. I need you. She, she does everything she can. She tries to reason with him. At one point, she begs. At one point, she's bribing, and he will not open the door. She's looked all over the house to find the little key that allows you to kind of unlock the door, the little pin key from the, from the outside. You know, she can't find one of those. And so eventually, she says, if you don't come out of this door right now, I'm taking this door off the hinges. And of course, he doesn't respond. And so she goes downstairs to get a Phillips head screwdriver in the garage and finds it. And in that time when she's gone, my son decides he, he knows she's gone downstairs. He peeks out the door. And so he leaves his bedroom and goes to the room next door and locks himself in there. <laughs> And so Lori goes up and she takes every one of the screws out of the hinges on both sides of that door and takes it off the hinges. She has lost herself. And at that point, he opens up the door, the other door, because he's like, what is happening, right? He cracks it open and she says, buddy, you better get out of here. He steps out of that room and she takes every screw out of every hinge on that door as well. So I walk in at the end of the day and she says, there are two doors upstairs that I took off the hinges. You need to put them somewhere. <laughs> I am like the Wilhite household has become something else. It's unglued right now. I, I kind of laugh because I don't know if you ever had your door taken off as a kid, but I do feel like it's kind of a rite of passage. Lori's mortified. I'm like, oh, all my friends, we had our doors taken off, you know, at some point. Um, but not only that, uh, I didn't want to tell her that all you had to do was pop the little pins out, you know, and you could have just pulled the door right off. You didn't have to, like, hand unscrew all of those screws. But I didn't tell her that because I didn't want to have to lock myself in the master bedroom to, you know, fear for my life. So anyway. They hugged it out a little while later. Uh, her and Ethan, everything was fine, but I'm telling you, um, he did not get his door back for a very, very long time. This is life. Sometimes things come unhinged. Like sometimes you're not planning it, you're not looking for it, things just get crazy. It could be little things, it could be big things. It could be you got a busy week, it's crazy, and then your check engine light comes on. Your kid comes home and says, hey, by the way, I have this whole school project I'm supposed to have been working on for a month that I'm just now telling you about, and I need all these supplies right now. Am I in somebody's world yet? 
It could be your friends at school or your, your, you know, your friends at work or your, just your friend friends and they're ghosting you. They're not talking to you. They're not communicating and you don't know what's happening and you don't understand and nobody will tell you and all of a sudden things feel kind of crazy, right? It could be like a relationship that you're in that starts to just feel like it's spinning out of control. Life gets sort of unhinged and we usually think, man, if I could just get uh, rid of the things I don't want and get the things I do want, then I'd be happy, right? Then I'd have a level of contentment. It's reasonable enough. But we've been in this series called Chasing Happy. We've been learning that, that happiness is actually uh, much more layered and complex than just getting what you want and not getting what you don't want. And so I want to talk to you today about how we can discover the secret of contentment even if we don't always get what we want and even if our life feels like it's becoming unhinged. How many of you wouldn't mind learning the secret of contentment? Right? Like, I'm in for that, right? I want that. Somebody didn't raise their hand, but that's because either you're asleep or you're lying. Like, we all want the secret of contentment. Who doesn't want that? That's why we buy the things we buy, go the places we go, do the things we do, dream the dreams we dream. We're all on the road to try and get some level of contentment and joy and happiness in our lives. And Paul today is gonna share the secret of contentment. But what's interesting is he's gonna share it from an unhinged place in his life. Paul was a famous, uh, well-known at the time uh, in, in, in Israel, religious leader. He had a lot of influence. Um, he probably had wealth financially. He would have had what he needed to be taken care of. And then he becomes a follower of Jesus. And what that means for him in his life is he begins to be persecuted. He uh, eventually is slandered. He's mocked. People lied about him, they gossiped about him. He'd been beaten, he'd been run out of different cities, he had been shipwrecked, he'd gone through all of this stuff. And when he writes the letter of Philippians, he's in prison in Rome awaiting a trial. And so it's fascinating that the letter of Philippians is known as the letter of joy. Like this is the letter of joy, Paul's writing this from prison. And he's gonna tell us the secret of contentment from prison. And so let's look at it. Philippians chapter four, verse 11. This may be one of the most read parts of the Bible, especially the last verse. But here's what Paul says. When we get to the red word, say it real loud here with me. He says, I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Um, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. You see that? And I want you to notice, he says, I've learned to be content. Contentment didn't just fall out of the sky. He's had to learn how to be content with whatever he had. Now look at what he says. Um, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through who? Through Christ who gives me strength. That's the verse we all quote, right? I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. But notice, right before that, Paul says, listen, I have learned the secret, basically, of contentment, of living in any situation. And don't miss this. The secret is a spiritual secret. You see that? In other words, th this is a, a spiritual secret to a problem we're all trying to get the answer to. If you want to live in any situation, if you want a level of contentment in your life, Paul says, I've learned it, and it comes through Christ. So I would say this, if Jesus is your everything, then you can face anything. If Jesus is your everything, 
then you can face anything. It's a spiritual secret, the secret of contentment. So let's break it down. Uh, first, I would say if you want to learn the secret of contentment, Paul's going to give us some hints to learn the secret of enough, to learn the secret of enough. Who's the most uh, content? Is it the person with 12 kids or the person with a million dollars? Some of you are like, this is a trick question. I know this is a trick question, but I don't know the answer, but I'm not gonna. Well, it's the person with 12 kids because they don't want any more. Come on. Right? They're done. They're good. The guy with a million, all he wants is another million. So the challenge in our lives is the pull of more. I remember when my, my daughter was little, we did some spring cleaning once, and she had all these little wonder pets and pink rhinos and elephants that she had collected, birthdays, Christmases, all the things. And so I said, man, we got it's just like taking up all this room in the closet. I'm like, just pull it all out. And then I, we, we, I don't know how many there were, but I remember telling her, listen, you need to donate to some other kids. Other kids need some stuffed animals. You don't need this many, which is very concerning for her. She's tenderhearted, but she didn't want to let go, man. Like, these are my stuffed animals. So we're going to limit ourselves to 35. <laughs> you get to keep 35 stuffed. You would have thought I was killing her dead, trying to get her to kind of navigate through and just pick 35. And the next time we're at Target, she's bringing me another stuffed animal that she desperately needs. This is what we do from the time we're kids, right? We think, man, I gotta have more, I need more. If I just had more, then I would be content, then I would be happy. Paul's gonna show that contentment isn't really anchored in more, and it's not even anchored in less. It somehow allows us to faith seasons of more and seasons of less and still find contentment in both. Look at what he says. Philippians chapter four, verse 12. Help me out on the red words. He says, I know how to live on almost what? Nothing. Or with what? Everything. Nothing and everything. Turn to the person next to you and say nothing. Now, when I first read this verse, I used to think like, wow, Paul's basically saying, this is how you kind of live in poverty for Jesus. Great. Like, Jesus, thank you for all the nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I, I sort of stopped at the word nothing. It's like, yeah, you know, I know how to live on almost nothing. Ooh, dang. Okay, wow. And some of you may be in that season right now in your life. You're like, God, man, I just feel like my whole life, I'm at church because my life has become nothing. And I don't know what you're doing, but it feels like a whole lot of nothing. And that guy you brought into my life, he's definitely nothing. <laughs> and that girl that I've been praying for, she's definitely nothing. Like, like, I don't know what you're doing, God, but this isn't it. But notice Paul isn't just saying that Jesus can help you endure seasons of nothing. Because he also says he's learned to be content with everything. Turn to the person next to you and say everything. 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 In other words, you're going to go through certain seasons in your life where blessings are flowing, where your prayers suddenly feel like they've been answered, where all of a sudden finances aren't such, you know, a boot on your neck, where you feel like, man, relationally things are coming together, financially things are coming together, like you have everything. But here's what Paul's saying. If you don't learn the secret of contentment with nothing, you're not going to necessarily experience it with everything. Because it's not... It's not hinged on the everything and the nothing. It's hinged on Christ. Do you see that? 
So he says, even with nothing, even with everything, in all of that, I've learned the secret of contentment. So let's, I'll put it on a little slide here. Maybe this will be helpful. I think a lot of times in our culture, we kind of engage in what we, we, we might call the myth of more, right? And the myth of more says, hey, I want to be content. I want to be happy. So I need more. I want to have more. I want to have the thing, purchase the thing. I want to have the relationship. I want to have the house. I want to have the car. I want to have the stuff. And that's not necessarily bad. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that that is bad, right? I think we all kind of come at things with this idea that I, gotta, I, I, need, I need more. I want to have more. Okay, great. We also think, man, I got to do more. I got to accomplish more. I got to have more success. I got to get myself together. I got to accomplish more in my field. I got to make a name for myself. I need to cast a long shadow. Come on, somebody. I got to do more. And I got to be more. You know, I, gotta, I, gotta, I just got to be more as a person. And so the myth of more, though, comes along and says, you got to have more, do more, and be more before you're able to have any level of contentment and happiness in your life. And the degree to which you have more, do more, and be more, well, that's going to directly affect the degree to which you're happy and content. And friends, that's a myth, because what have you experienced in your own life? You get a little bit more, and then you just kind of immediately adjust to that lifestyle, and there you are, just as miserable as you were before. You do a little bit more, awesome, cool, you celebrate that, but you're likely just as miserable soon after as you were before, and all of a sudden you try to be a little bit more, but in the end, it's not enough, because the myth of more is a myth. It just keeps holding this carrot out here saying, do more, be more, do more, be more. But we never really experience the contentment. At least that was my experience. Can you relate to that? And I think what Paul's trying to challenge us with spiritually as people of faith is to realize that God can actually give us the gift of enough. And I think it looks like this. You're able to say, I have enough in Christ. And maybe just enough. Come on, somebody. But God looks after the birds of the air. He will look after me. God is in charge. God is ultimately moving and working in my life. I can pray for more. I can work for more. But I trust God and I have enough in what Christ has provided for me in him. I have done enough in Christ. Really, Christ has done it all for me. I simply need to believe and trust in him and I receive all the grace and blessing of God in my life from that act of faith. I've done enough. I am enough. I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm free, I'm empowered because of who God is. I don't have to earn it. It's not dependent on my looks today or my talent today or my performance today. I can rest in it. It's the gift of enough. Now, a lot of times you could look at this and you could say, well, that sounds a lot like complacency, right? If I have enough and I've done enough and I am enough, then why try? You know, let's just watch Netflix. Let's just, you know, Netflix is like, are you still there? Yep, still here. Just watching another episode, because I don't have to, I've done enough, I am enough, pastor told me I'm, I'm good enough, like bring the nachos. But there's a difference between contentment and complacency. In fact, when you look at Paul's life, you see that even though he's in prison, he's like, okay. He says, he says to the Philippians, you helped me, but not that I had a need. Did you notice that? Because God was gonna take care of him. Even in prison when he's got nothing, God's gonna take care of me. I have enough, I've done enough, I am enough. He could rejoice even though he's chained to a Roman guard. 
because he's serving Christ and looking to him. He has the gift of enough in his life. But it doesn't mean he stops trying. It doesn't mean he becomes complacent because Paul would write that he presses on to the high calling that God has given him in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's pushing on. He's trying to grow. He's trying to achieve. He's trying to accomplish. So here's the difference. I think over here, the myth of more becomes kind of a self-oriented thing. We, I gotta have more, do more, be more for me, for myself, for my happiness, for my ends. But the gift of enough realizes I have enough because of what God has done and who God is. I've done enough in Christ because of what God, who God is and what he's done. I am enough. And so I can strive to be the best in my field. I can strive to work as hard as I can. The Bible says do all things. Work, as, work with all of your heart for the glory of God. I can give it everything I have and I can push forward, not so that I will someday be happy, but from a place of contentment already where I want to do everything for the glory of God to the best of my ability. It's like two different expressions when you really think about it. So in a lot of ways, Paul is challenging us to realize that contentment can coexist with effort, with struggle, with good seasons, and with bad seasons. I mean, some of you right now, you're in the season of nothing. You just feel like, man, I don't know what's going on, but it feels like nothing's happening. Let me suggest to you that this is an opportunity because if you will look to Christ and learn a level of contentment in the season of nothing, that will serve you well for the season of everything. It will help you. If you can't find a level of contentment in the season of nothing, I wanna suggest that it's very unlikely you're gonna find a level of contentment in a season of everything. Studies actually show that, for instance, money. All money typically does is exaggerate who you already are. <laughs> Brother heard me right back there. It just kind of exaggerates who you already are. Like, like if you're angry as a broke person, you'd probably be a rageaholic as a wealthy person. If you're wrestling with addiction as a broke person, you're gonna be a total addict as a wealthy person and then you're gonna be broke soon after anyway. So, like if, if, you're, if you're wrestling with greed as a broke person, you'll continue to wrestle with greed even at a whole other level as a wealthy person. All of that more tends to do is exaggerate who we already are. So Jesus says if you learn to be faithful with little, then you could be faithful with much. So if you're in a season of nothing right now, leverage this season to say, God, I'm gonna look to you. I'm gonna celebrate what you've done in my life. I'm gonna recognize there's a level of contentment I can experience even now, and I'm gonna trust you. Because if I can learn a level of contentment while I still strive and try to improve, that is gonna help me because when I get into another season where things are flowing in my life, that's not gonna necessarily make me happy either. So I might as well learn the secret of contentment now. During COVID, about a year into COVID, a little over a year into COVID, uh, I was really tired. We were all really tired, weren't we? Sorry to take you back to that memory. But go back a little over a year into COVID, and we were all kind of worn out. We were like zombies walking around. <sighs> 
in our house, we were tired, been leading in the church, leading through all these things, and kind of came to the end of whatever strength we had a long, a long time before. And I remember about a year in, I reached out to a spiritual counselor of mine, and um, I was kind of just trying to get some insight and some help. And he said, Judd, listen, I want, I want you to do one thing every day. I'm like, all right, I'm getting ready to take notes, you know, what's my one thing? He says, I want you to find one thing that brings you joy and do it every day. He said, it doesn't have to seem spiritual, but everything's spiritual. He said, just find one thing. It could be music, could be a walk, could be going outside. Could be, find one thing that brings you joy every day and do it. I'm like, okay. Now, that was interesting because I sat down with Lori and said, all right, I'm supposed to find one thing every day that brings me joy, and I had to think about it. If you have to think about what brings you joy, you got problems, like me. I mean, for a year, we'd just been running around crazy, just trying to survive and help and keep everything going and do all the things, right? Who has time to think about joy? We're trying to not die. Some of you are there right now, man. You're just trying to raise these kids, get the bills paid, get through your life, get through the other stuff. Who's got time to think about joy? I'm just trying to get to tomorrow. I said, Lori, we gotta, I gotta, I'm supposed to figure out what brings me joy. And so we came up with a list, and I started doing one thing every day. But this is what I'll never forget. That list didn't cost a lot of money. It wasn't like, I had to go on a huge vacation to Tahiti to have joy. Just going for a walk with Lori, go for a little walk, half an hour, hour. Man, those conversations became amazing, you know, a healing thing. Uh, avocado toast. <laughs> Brings me joy, you know what I'm saying? Right? Um, Listening to music, you know, I, I love vinyl because I stream music like everybody, but, but I like to also get records because if I have a record and I put it on the turntable, I like just listen to music. You know, I'm not, I mean, it's not background while I do other things. I really focus and listen to like a whole album. So, you know, I would go out and just listen to a whole record and just sit there and not do anything. It was like therapy. And I would just reflect while I listened to the music, like, those were the little things that brought me joy. They didn't cost a lot. And listen, they were all already in my life. I didn't have to go find them. I didn't have to pay a lot for them. They were already there. So my encouragement to you is, if you want to learn some of the secret of enough, just look around your life and ask that question. What is it that I do that brings me joy? I think you'll find... Many of your answers to that question don't cost a lot of money. You know, I love to, to just drive, and I would get in the car, and I hadn't done this in years at the time, and I would just go for like a 30-minute or an hour drive with no destination. I'd roll the windows down and crank up the music, man, like I'm 16 again, people, and I'm, oh, yeah. I pull up to the stop sign, and Young people look over at me and it's like, that's right, I'm cool. And I know they're thinking like, why does grandpa have the music so loud over there, right? But it was therapy, right? And I find even today, I'm still trying to do that, trying to find little things that I can do on a regular basis to just find joy in life. 
everything spiritual, those things are spiritual as well. Find the things that you love to do that bring you joy and you'll discover more of the gift of enough. And then here's another thought. Learn the secret of strength. Learn the secret of strength. When you look to Paul, he talks about the strength that Christ could bring into his life. And his strength comes from looking to Christ rather than looking to everybody else. I don't know about you, but, but I tend to get tempted. I want to look at everybody else and what they have and what they don't have. For example, like I've always wanted to grow a beard. I mean, look at this, look at this baby face thing right here. You know, I'm like, I mean, like a good mustache, like that right there, dude, that's a beard, brother. That's what I'm talking about right there. Come on, man. Like, you know, a good beard. I couldn't even grow a good goatee. Look, I, I can't even grow a little stash. I, I just don't, it just doesn't work. I got gaps. And then, you know, one of my best friends and one of our most loved staff members, incredible pastor, is this guy right here, you know, Pastor Nick. I gotta look at that beard all the time, man. That's an epic beard. Things could live in that beard and nobody would even know. Look at that beard, amazing. In fact, I, I, I went to AI just to see if it could help me, you know, and let's, look at that baby. Look at that. I don't care who you are, that looks good. Come on, God, that would have been epic. But I'm out here beardless. If I could grow that, I would do it. I'm always gonna be frustrated if I compare, compare my lack of beard to Nick's epic beard. When you compare your situation, your life, your looks, your stuff to somebody else, it always, always, always kills contentment. It just kills it. And that's what we tend to do. Like we open up social media and there it all is. You're like, oh man, you know, check out that vacation. Must be nice. Right? Check out that car. Must be nice. Have a car like that. I don't have a car like that. Check out that vacation. Must be nice. Look at how she fits in that bikini. Must be nice. You haven't had four kids yet. All right, whatever. It's the stuff I hear my wife say. <laughs> look at him over here doing that, must be nice. Look at him in the gym slamming all that weight, must be nice. Six pack man. And it all just takes your contentment and robs it. There's a simple hack that I've tried to engage in my life that I think has made a big impact. And that is as soon as I see something happening good in somebody else's life, I celebrate it. God, thank you that you're blessing them. God, thank you that they're doing well. God, thank you that they have a pre-kid body. God, thank you that he's looking awesome and hitting the gym. When I start to celebrate what God's doing in other people's lives, it also helps me look to God and realize I'm gonna get my blessing, I'm gonna get my time, I'm gonna get my reward, but I'm gonna get it from God. And I'm gonna follow. Paul is in prison, but he's not comparing himself to others. He's looking to Christ, and therefore he has joy. 
He has joy. Look at what he says. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. Let's look at this verse again. Probably the most quoted verse in the Bible. He says, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then here it is. For I can do everything through who? Christ who gives me strength. Now, I want you to notice, I mean, this verse gets quoted in all kinds of contexts, right? It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I can do everything through Christ. Like, boxers wear the verse, you know, on their, on their shorts, and, and football players put it underneath their eyes. I can do everything through Christ. And, and sometimes the verse gets kind of abused, you know? It's like, even if you have no athletic talent, you're like, look, I'm going to be a pro football player one day. I can do everything through Christ. I mean, you might make the Cowboys, but that's about it. Just saying... Although we're looking good this year, I should pull back my cynicism. But you know, like, the context, we just read it together. Paul's saying, this is what this verse means. Whether I have no money in the bank or whether I'm flush, whether I have uh, no emotional strength left or whether, you know, I'm in a season where I've got all the energy in the world, whether things are really hard right now and it's a season of nothing, or whether I'm in a season of plenty and everything, whether I'm hungry right now or I have tons of food in the pantry, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If Jesus is your everything, you can face anything. That's his source of strength. And so... How do you get that strength? Well, this is what I would say. You can't get that strength until you have a first-hand faith. A second-hand faith won't get you that kind of strength. In other words, some of you are at church, and I'm glad you're here, and you're here because your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or you're trying to meet the right girl or meet the right guy, or you're here for your family, your parents, somebody else brought you, your, your son or your daughter or like bringing you along, and that's awesome. Keep coming, keep going on the spiritual journey. But listen, you don't really get the secret of this and the strength of this with a faith through a loved one or through somebody else. You've got to develop your own personal relationship with God. You gotta go on the spiritual journey with him. And as you do, part of this strength is a mystery, and God gives it to you as you need it, and he leads you through, and you realize whether I have everything or whether I have nothing, I'm gonna be okay. I don't have to live in such fear and worry. I believe God has my back. So this week, for some of us, maybe what we need to do is really just start to own our faith again at a new level. First step, by the way, is a great opportunity. If you've never jumped in to discover more of who God is, how to pray, how to grow spiritually, it could be a great way to kind of own your faith in your life. Or maybe this week, it's just looking around and asking yourself again, what do, what do I do that brings me joy? And find some simple things in your life to rekindle that joy, to give yourself to that. But realize, when Jesus is your everything, you can face anything in your life. Because when you're weak, he becomes your strength. And when you're lost, he's your path. When times are dark, he's the one who lights the way. He's your defender. When you're defeated, he's your victory. When you feel overwhelmed, he's your helper. When you feel anxious, he's your peace. When you feel hopeless, he secures your future. When you can't handle the load, his strong right arm supports you and guides you. When you feel a abandoned, he adopts you as his own. When you feel trapped by shame and guilt, he's your redeemer. When you feel like a nobody with nothing, he calls you a somebody through Jesus Christ. In fact, 
God loves to take nobodies and make them somebodies. And he loves to take the unloved and make them loved. And he loves to take the least of these and make them powerful individuals living for his glory. That's what he loves to do. And when he's your everything, he can see you through anything. Maybe you're here, maybe you've never crossed that line of faith. And I'd love to give you that opportunity today just to begin that spiritual journey and to reach out to God. So I wanna ask all of you to please bow your heads, please close your eyes. If you'd like to take that spiritual step, you can begin by repeating a simple prayer after me just to open your heart to God. You can say this either out loud or just in your own heart and mind. Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. And friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I want to ask you to just slip your hand in the air. Just reach out to him today. God bless you guys. Hands going up around the room. Thank you guys. Just reach out to him today. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys. God, I thank you for each person reaching out to you. I pray you move in their life. Heal, restore, forgive, and just work in a way that only you can. Fill us with your peace, your joy, and your happiness, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe and review this podcast and connect with us on social media by following at Central Online. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Central. You can simply visit centralchurch.online slash give, and you can give a gift today. And thanks again for joining us on the Central Church Podcast.